For this episode of Econ Minute, we're doing an experiment. In collaboration with the Oregon Transformation Project, we have Jim Becero, author of the Oregon Transformation Newsletter. He's going to be co-hosting while we interview Dan Yates, president of the Portland Spirit. Portland Spirit provides river cruises on the Willamette and Columbia Rivers and also owns a restaurant on the Columbia at Cascade Locks. Dan discusses the challenges of running a small-ish business and how Oregon's summer wildfires took a huge toll on his and other Northwest businesses. I hope you enjoy this episode. So this is the Oregon Transformation Podcast. I'm Eric Fruits. I'm going to be the moderator today, and we have the founder of the podcast also with us, Jim Passero, who also writes the Oregon Transformation Newsletter. Yes, uh, Eric, and and this is our first uh, podcast test. But you know, both of us are are such scintillating personalities that uh, you know stand by for. A really, a, a you know, a wonderful show. Which means you might find it on iTunes, or you may never find it at all, right? Exactly. <laughs> but we're not here to talk look, to each other. Look we're, who we dragged in today. It, well, yeah, we are here not to talk to each other, but to talk to Dan Yates, who is the owner, principal, partner of uh, Portland Spirit. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about Portland Spirit. Well, Portland Spirit is uh, we have we operate five vessels, uh, two six hundred passenger vessels, and two hundred and fifty passengers, and one high speed jet boat in Portland. Uh, we uh, and Cascade Locks. Um, we uh, we do about 2,000 cruises a year, carry about uh, 150,000 people, and uh, we've been doing it for 24 years. And uh, been a, a very challenging time for us. So now's a challenging time. The especially the last uh, eight weeks with the, with the fires in Oregon. Awesome. Um, we. Uh, uh, most people are very aware of the Eagle Creek fire, which uh, actually shut down the gorge for almost three full weeks. And Cascade, my operation in Cascade Locks was not only uh, shut down, it was not allowed to operate at all. And so uh, I have 40 employees that just are starting to get back to work now that the fire has been uh, contained. But, uh, no, it's been a very difficult... So what do they do when they lose their paychecks for three weeks? They... Uh, Waited Does the Portland Spirit send them to Hawaii or something well, for a vacation? Actually, we arranged to send up uh, uh, a couple shiploads of food so that employees uh, could come in and, and, and we gave them opportunities to pull whatever product they needed to keep their house stocked and their family. How did you get the food up there? We if were able to initially just use the product that we had between the boat and our restaurant in Cascade Locks and distribute it out of there. And when that pantry was uh, was depleted, we were able to get a, a, a couple of truckloads of, uh, of private vehicles of food up to them across the Bridge of the Gods. So they were stuck up there in their houses and... Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, they so. were. They, uh, people were... Well, there was an evacuation order for about a third of the, the community, and they, but uh, most of the people stayed. And... Uh, and so we basically support them as best we could. We also were able to uh, send a, one boat up there. Our jet boat was able to take people up and product up. So you're allowed to. You were. You also have a restaurant up there. Yes. So you weren't allowed to take the boat up there. You probably had to close the restaurant. Oh yeah, everything was closed. So the Sternwheeler uh, Columbia Gorge has been operating in the Cascade Box since 1982 or three. We only took over the operation from the government uh, about 10 years ago. Who now, could you have taken trips going the other way down the no, road? No, there's, uh, I, couldn't have, I couldn't get employees to the boat is what we were told. I mean, because it was in the evacuation zone. Who has jurisdiction over the 
actual Columbia River? Who's in charge of that? The Coast Guard actually put a... They so closed the river for about a week. And the only reason they opened it up, from what I've been told... So, I mean, they just, like, the only, the only people that could use the river were the fish? Yes. No. You, they, uh, they put a... The captain of the port, who's located in Astoria, uh, shut the river down. And the principal reason I heard that they opened it back up is that um, Vancouver ships all of its trash uh, up the river. river via barge. And they were running out of room to store trash. So was the rail service open then? I mean, is that the only thing moving? So the, the road's closed, no trucks on SR-14, the river's closed. It, it, did commerce uh, continue via rail? Rail on the Washington side continued. Rail on the uh, Oregon side was curtailed. Um, is and it, is that it, the first time that that's ever happened? The ra- no, the rail was uh, shut down in the late 90s when there was a, a landslide that actually closed uh, the interstate also. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than uh, rail also was shut down when they had the derailment of the oil train uh, last year for, for a few days. But th- there's never been a three-week period where, uh, in my sense, I've lived out here that I've seen a, an interstate system and a rail and a major river system closed. This is like the, one of the most unusual sort of business challenges you've mm-hmm. faced in the 20 years of serving dinners to people on the river? It has been extremely frustrating because I, uh, I remember getting the photo I, uh, on the Saturday in early September when uh, the puff of white smoke went up <clears throat> from the smoke bomb that the, that the kid flung and the, in the initial fire, and uh, it was actually visible from our visitor center. And um, our, uh, but what was frustrating is that it took time for people to react to even figure out what to do about it. So wait, you raised something interesting that has nothing to do with fires, but uh, something to do with a recent policy. In the Oregon legislature, they just passed a law that applies to people in the hospitality industry involving what they call flexible scheduling or scheduling certainty. The idea is if you schedule someone to work, was it two weeks' notice you had to right. give them? So I'm sure your restaurant employees are covered by that. Or, no. no. Actually, fortunately, the last minute, uh, the threshold was raised to 500 employees, and I only have 200. So um, my employees are not covered by a two-week schedule. But it, maybe we can I just... But I do understand the law and, and how it works. You're going to take a little deeper here? Well, what I'm guessing, what I'm curious about is here you have this situation where you have an unexpected fire that shuts down your restaurant, your, uh, your entertainment, your boating operations, and so it's not your fault that you can't have those employees working. My understanding is under that flexible scheduling law, if you were subject to it, if you had more than 500 employees... You would still have to pay those people at least for half half a day, even though the events were completely out of Actually, your control. Actually, you have to pay them for the every hour that they were scheduled over that time period. Oh wow, every hour. Yeah, every hour that they were scheduled. So if you scheduled someone for an eight-hour shift, you would have had to pay them eight hours, whether well, they. The way the way the law works is that if a person, every employee has to be given a two-week schedule, and it has to be a. Uh, a rot- of, of every day you have to update it so that there is always a two-week schedule for the employee. So you have to forecast out your demand of employees. And if you over-forecast on the number of employees you need, um, 
you have to pay a, a, a penalty wage to reduce their hours. So if they were scheduled for eight hours, you have to pay them, and you'd cut them, then you have to pay them like four hours for not working. Oh, right. right. But if you also under forecast and you have to call people in, you have to pay a penalty of like four hours extra for the two or three hours that they work. Right. So it's it, in the restaurant business, uh, we, especially in my business, it's not unusual for us to get a private event uh, five days out where, you know, Nike wants to, you know, they got somebody in town they want to celebrate. They call them and say, we want to take a cruise, and i got to put a whole crew on well, now, if I, the rules applied to me, it would be like a, a significant surcharge on the labor cost to do that. So what would you do in response to that? If you were somebody, would you charge Nike or whoever is doing the booking, charge them a, 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 a well, penalty or a surcharge for that short? short I would if, I, if that rule applied to yeah. me. We discussed how we, we would react to it. The, uh, because it's, uh, it's already daunting scheduling labor. There's... Uh, between the paid sick leave, which went into effect, where employees now uh, have uh, the the relationship between the employee and the employer, especially in Portland, uh, has dramatically changed. Where, if uh, for me a boat when my boat leaves a dock, it leaves a dock. An employee who misses movement of the boat, uh, it does me no good that the person can show up at the dock 15 minutes later after the boat's left and say, "I'm here. I'm ready to work. I, I was I." I was sick for an hour, that's why I didn't show up. And they can claim, they can use their sick time in any amount of period that they need. Oh, right. And so uh, the, the ability to discipline an employee for uh, missing or being late has been really, really impacted. And we already have uh, you know, uh, issues with this, uh, the last couple generations of employees not having very strong work ethics, and this only really reinforces it. But Eric, Eric, the same, that's Eric, the same Eric is he saying that millennials don't work hard? Well, it's like the conversation I have with my kids when we have to go fly somewhere. I say, now, kids, this is different from driving because the plane doesn't wait for us because you have to go to the bathroom or you had to get your your iPhone earphones or whatever. They listen to you? When the plane... Well, they, they understand, and maybe when they get older, when they're on their own, if they miss a flight, maybe they'll understand how that system works. Um, but right now, they've got loving parents who say, we've got to go and get on the plane. Um, Dan, I read in your background that uh, you're not from Portland. No. I Where am. are you from? What's your background? I am a New Yorker. Um, I grew up... Uh, now, New Yorker in the good worked. sense of the word or a New Yorker in the bad sense of the word? Like bad being like a Yankee fan. I am definitely a Yankee fan. <laughs> okay, oh, bad sense of the but word. But I am also uh, uh, a fan of the only NFL team that plays in the state of New York. The Buffalo Bills. Yes. Uh, I grew up outside of Buffalo, Rochester, mm-hmm. on the, a very rural part of the, of the state. And you had a pretty famous father. My father uh, was one of the uh, was contributing editor of Car and Driver magazine for almost 50 years. Uh, His wrote name? a lot of books. Brock Yates. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote uh, maybe 20 books and mm-hmm. uh, two movies and um, very successful uh in his uh, field. Mm-hmm. How come you, how'd you get out here? How'd you get in the dinner boat business? And it seems to me that, I, re- I think I read that there were five, you had five competitors when you started? And now um, through the ruthless hand of American Waterways at Portland Spirit, you're, you're the only dinner boat business? Oh, I had a lot of assistants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
when in our industry, I, I went to graduate school after being a naval officer for eight years, and uh, out of graduate school, I went to work for the largest interval company in the world, which is, at that time was in Norfolk, Virginia, was their headquarters. And uh, uh, I got an opportunity to come out to Portland and join my uncle, who I did not know very well, who had lived out here, and he was a venture capitalist. And uh, we uh, started the Portland Spirit against the advice of many people because the principal vessel in our market of any size was the Columbia Gord Sternwheeler, which was owned by the government. And uh, it's, people always said it's very hard to, to compete with a, with a government agency, especially when the first thing they do is, you know, sick all the government agencies on you to, for, to hold you to a standard that they are not held to. But... Uh, and we did have three or four other competitors in those days, and we have uh, persevered and uh, uh, drove most of them out of business and have absorbed three of them. So, so you've got their boats. Yes. Yes. It's like uh, it's like one of those war games. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you've got their boats. Did any of them pick up and leave? Go somewhere else? One of them uh, still works for me. Okay. One of the captains who I bought his uh, did not buy his boat. I. Uh, his, uh, but uh, a couple of them have died, and um, you didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, well, I know you're from New directly. York. You're not from New York. I mean, I, I, he's a New Yorker, Eric. You'll never uh, find my fingerprints. Oh, okay, okay. No, see, I'm uh, allowed to ask, right? Absolutely. How do you, but you don't have to answer. I'll How, take the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> How do you um, structure uh, the division between uh, sales to corporate clients and sales to the public. public, yeah. How does that work? Well, we have uh, I have about a six-person sales staff that works corporate market, and they're all broken down into different market segments. Everything from weddings to social uh, family reunions to uh, uh, large corporate clients, and they're broken up by different uh, market segments. And then I have uh, a, a, a large group of uh, customer service representatives that handle. Uh, phone calls coming in for the public. But that business has radically changed with the internet and we have fewer customer service reps now that 70% of our public business is done online and hardly any interaction with uh, people at all. So what's the, I mean, Nike buys a, buys a cruise and what's the percentage of corporate, corporate uh, revenue versus public revenue? Well, uh, that has evolved. It never really has recovered in the Portland market. What, what has it recovered? The corporate market has not recovered. Because? Uh, well, in 2000. Because we don't have any Fortune 500 companies? The Several things. One, Nike uh, tends to, being a big 800-pound gorilla in our market, tends to do most of their entertaining at their campus. Right. And they're, they isolate themselves uh, uh, from participating in the community by doing their events at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand why their people are expensive. They want to keep, uh, they don't want them to pay them for all the travel time to go to other places. But we used And you to, can't drive anywhere, so it saves them time. Well, it's possible. Um, we, uh, but we don't have a, uh, a, uh, a strong, uh, large business market. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we only have one professional uh, sports team in town mm-hmm. of any size. Right. Because uh, we don't Not have enough corporate sponsors. Yeah, so that our market 
we used to be virtually 50-50, and we're now about 65-35, uh, 65% public and 35% corporate. Wow. Well, I notice you do a lot of marketing, right? You have print ads. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe you have TV ads. We do. Radio. We spend a little over half a million dollars a year on, on advertising. Uh, we've, we have all but stopped doing print ads. Uh, okay. Um, we, uh, You're, what, because are you saying people don't read the newspaper anymore? Well, we used to do a quarter of a million dollars a year with the Oregonian, uh, year in and year out. And as it became less and less effective as people stopped reading and taking subscribing. And, and quite frankly, one of the things, the big indicators were the, the reach of the paper dropped from like 600,000 Sunday readers down to two or 300,000. Uh, and they were still charging the same amount. It made you uh, go and look at what's the cost per exposure. So uh, we effectively got down to virtually nothing in the Oregonian. And about three years ago, they did an, an experiment uh, to prove to us how effective and important the Oregonian mm -hmm. is. Uh, they actually went and took out a large ad in uh, the Sunday paper for free for us advertising our New Year's Eve cruise. Huh. Um, unfortunately, they didn't bother because they didn't tell us it was a surprise. They didn't check the copy with us. And instead of uh, it being advertised at $100 per person, they advertised it at $10 per person. Oh, so who ate the 90 no one, because we never got a phone call. Oh, not a phone call? Not a single phone call. For a $10 cruise on New Year's Eve? In the York. Only seen. So they were just seen. So they just wanted to commit suicide. That is phenomenal, though. I, I just, not a I, single phone call. So, wow. Which really drove home the point that. <laughs> the, death no of, one, the death of no, French I mean, journalism. That's just phenomenal on, on so many levels, because, I mean, even, even I don't go anywhere on New Year's Eve, but if I saw, well, gee, there's a chance to. Spend ten dollars to go on a Portland Spirit on New Year's Eve. That'd be kind yeah, of neat. Yeah, you know, free champagne and food. Yeah, yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah, I mean it's cheaper than buying a bottle and yeah. drinking it at home, right? Yeah. Uh, so Which you, you do that already every night. Does your right. money go to the social media now? And does does social media tell the truth about their reach? And is it effective? <laughs> you got him coughing. You threw him off. Yeah, I really yeah. did. Well, well, social media. Is anybody who tells you they understand how social media works is a is a liar because mm -hmm. it is still evolving at such a phenomenal pace that some of it works, some of it doesn't. Um, what's the old adage about advertising? Half of it works and half of it doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't know you which half is which. The uh, the social media is so like eighty five percent of it doesn't work and fifteen percent of it works. Mm -hmm. But uh, what is where are some of the things that are uh, be wary of? We have large advertisers, uh, places to place your advertising in this community that will say, we'll put you on our, uh, on our website and we and our Facebook, we'll promote you on our Facebook page. And we have 500,000 followers of our Facebook page, which is incredible reach. We're very proud that we have like 35,000 for the spirit. Well, you know how you get a half a million followers on your Facebook page? You buy them. Yeah. Through China. It's $100 for every 20,000 or something. So there, people inflate their numbers, and quite frankly, I don't need to be promoting my product to Chinese. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds almost unethical. So you have to be... It is unethical, because they're, promote, they're telling you that... Right. But, so you have to approach... Do ad agencies buy into this crap? I find 
ad agencies to be uh, complicit and mm -hmm. uh, uh, and not very inquisitive about how money is spent. So they they get paid. So they helped exaggerate the Facebook exaggeration. I haven't used an agency in six years. I'm actually out interviewing agencies right now to help with social media because mm -hmm. I know I have learned that at 58, I am not a good user of social media products. And anything that I actually understand and use as social media is probably not uh, being looked at by a 30-year-old. Well, I, I had an old boss who said that, you know, a big part <coughs> of, of a business, a service-type business, is just letting your clients know you're still alive. You know, they tend to forget about you. And, you know, first of all, you have a, a reminder, it sounds like four or five times a day that you, you're still alive because people see your boat's going up and down the water. To me, that's, you know, almost free advertising. It is. Free. In fact, uh, uh, on our surveys, which we... Um, survey people who ride the boat they get a comment card and we get about 10,000 a year back from from our riders and we also do something very unusual in our business we actually call every booking the day after they ride and thank them for being on for coming and joining us and, it's, and we only get through to about half the people because people don't answer their phone but uh, we then ask them you know uh, we also ask them during the booking process how do you hear about us um, but uh, we find out that the number two reason or number three reason, depending on the year, is that people saw the boat. That's yeah. one reason why they booked with us. The other, the number one reason is the return customers. This is a, a very small market, what are we, 25th largest in the United States. Um, and to, for our ridership level, we do very well for penetration into the market. But interestingly enough, I mean, you get into, what are we, about 45% natives in this community? if that now. So one of the biggest discussion points we have on the boat, if not arguments, is with people who live have lived here 10 years. They'll, they'll try and correct my staff when they tell them that they're riding on the Willamette River. No. Because, no, no, this is the Columbia. Don't you even know where you're working? Oh, they do that. Oh, absolutely. Because there is such fundamental lack of knowledge about the place where they live and there's and but one thing the next time you cross a bridge in, uh, in portland see if you'll see a sign that actually says what river you're crossing no there are none well it, except that, for the except for the uh, even the interstate none wow none wow. I, I you know but the, now you're getting on <laughs> wow. a whole different topic geography no it's, well geography mm -hmm. i thought you were going to say you know, it's not the Columbia, it's the William that instead of the Willamette, no, no. no, but... Well, uh, you talked to social media. We did uh, a big uh, uh, push on um, all one of the music channels, Pandora. And Pandora, three years ago, would only allow them to record the app. They, they, you know, that was their structure. And so we gave them the copy, and they read the ad, and, uh, and it went out... And within, it's one of the, we know that Pandora works because we got many phone calls from people saying, you're idiots. It's pronounced Willamette, not Willamette. Yeah. Because they thought we created well, the Right. Oh, yeah. Well, just, what if they started, give them a list of names like uh, Cooch, Glisten, oh. Willamette. <laughs> okay. And you're going to tell me that it's not Glisten, it's Gleason, and you're wrong. Um, but it, the thing I was going to go on a rant about was uh, signage, street signage. 
in Portland is terrible. If you ever notice it, it if you yeah, are not every time you drive, if you you're not from it. Portland, it is really really. If you're terrible. from Portland, it's a nightmare. The one that gets me is as you're driving on on, on on 84. I, my joke is that Portland and Oregon are really good about getting you within about one square mile of where you need to be. There's a sign on 84 that says uh, "Welcome Center" or "Tourist Center." And it has an arrow, and it means you know keep That's going it. this way. And then, just as you're getting, you know, when you get to the point on the Morrison Bridge where you can either go into the town or okay. or not. That's it. The sign's gone. There's no more signs until until I, you actually show up. In I just did a U-turn on Burnside today, and somebody honked at me. But it was because they, I was trying to head out east on Gleason, and I got you know they turned you around and started heading you the other way. Oh, the and Burnside I, I, Cooch Club? I, 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 exactly. I, I refused, and I just did a U-turn. But you went on the east side? Well, I did go on the east side. You um, Dan, um, you said something in the past that got some notoriety, which is um, you're um, surprised about the Oregonians, the natives, and their negotiating skills. Uh, could you tell us that story about what, 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 have, what, what, what us natives are like and how we negotiate? Well, you're the only native, Jim. That's right. But our listeners, yeah. we have I, some I have, I've not seen the, the, the statistic in the last two or three years. I don't know if it's still maintained. But uh, it was one of these recurring statistical uh, things that the Wall Street Journal report that the state that pays the most for new cars year in and year out was Oregon. And, it was, and the feeling yeah. was is that Oregonians are conflict-adverse and it would, they are much easier just to pay the full price then, instead of negotiating, because negotiating is unseemly. Eric, do you think that's apocryphal, or do you think that's true? I hope it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's true. I just imagine you know, some, some bespectacled Oregonian walking onto the Subaru lot and saying, how much for this Forester? <laughs> oh, sure, here we go, let's write a check. <laughs> you know, when I was in, when I was in grad school, uh, one of my grad school classmates who, I don't know how he had this kind of money, he, uh, to do what he did, because he was in grad school, but he drove a Mazda Miata, and he decided it was time to get rid of it. And so he put it out on uh, whatever was the, the version of Craig, the newspaper, it wasn't Craigslist. The guy uh, comes to buy it, and he says, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you drive me to the Mercedes dealership? And the guy drives him to the Mercedes dealership and drops him off at, like, you know, 7 o'clock at night. And I thought to myself, talk about putting yourself in a terrible negotiating situation. Yeah. Here you are at an auto dealership without a car in the middle of nowhere, and you say, I need one tonight. I mean, you've just got that sucker sign all over your face, <laughs> don't you? Well, I hear you. Dan, you made it through the 2008-2009 recession. Uh, you know, it only took a couple months to recover. I mean, explain how you made it through what you do, how how you because um, you have a reputation for being a, a good manager. How did you get your employees to buy into whatever you what did you what did you have to do to survive? And he's, how did you get? He's your a good employees? manager, but he told me earlier he's known as not being labor friendly. So we need to push that. Well, you know, I'm very good to my employees, but to other employees, <laughs> how well, that's like one of my friends who has kids. She says, "I hate children. I love mine, but I hate everyone else." Walk, well, walk us through some of the dark well, days of 2008 and 2009. How you survived and how you got your employees to buy into your survival plan. Well, fortunately, I have, uh, I've had a core of... Oh, were they groups. dark days for you? They were extremely dark days. So uh, let's how, see, wait, wait, just backtracking. So, you know, think about this. You're, it's the dinner cruise business, mm-hmm. which is 
very... You, that's what you do with the leftover money, right? Yes, exactly. You know, if you're a business who's doing well, you, you take you celebrate. If you're if you have a wedding, you're doing well, you celebrate. And so economy goes down. I'm sure you could. There was a time. You're the canary. There was a line. time in 2009 right. that there wasn't that, that there were hardly any airplanes that summer that summer going in or out of Portland Airport. I have been used by Umqua Bank, who's been our bank for like 15, 16 years. It's kind of a bellwether of what the local economy is doing, and they they are always. They're, they're, they know how much cash I have because most of it's in their bank. I do have another banking relationship, but uh, they want to know what my deposits are for future deposits for future activity. That's uh, a big concern of theirs because they know that if that number crashes, there's something you know wrong wrong in the local economy because you, we are very local. You should play a trick best. on them someday. No, not right now. Not, <laughs> not, not after the fires. I've already, I'm down. Uh, you've already got the, you don't have to play a trick this to This fire is like a $400,000, $500,000 hit to me. And there's nothing you can, there's no insurance that covers that? Actually, I have insurance that about, only for the, for the restaurant. Is that about, a, not worth it and what percentage, is that, what kind of revenue is that for that one service up at Cascade Logs? That's about uh, uh, fourth. So that could be a third. So you no, could I mean be a fifth. You could be talking about your a lot of your yearly profit being tied up. Oh, my lost. yearly profit has been yeah, wiped out by this fire. Uh, yeah, about percent. So, so speaking of, of natural disasters, this one man-made. Yeah, yeah. two thousand eight, two thousand nine. How how dark was it for you? It fortunately, um, I have two. At the time, I had two extremely sophisticated partners: uh, mm-hmm. Wayne by Kingsley Capitalist, Red Shelley. Um, mm-hmm. Who is also a, a financial manager, and I have an MBA, mm-hmm. and and a few years, and I have experience uh, going through 9/11 and also through uh, the Asian flu of the late 90s, those recessions. So um, we were very conscious of when Lehman Brothers uh, collapsed so quickly that things might unravel fast. So I put out a survey to my salaried employees, which I have about 30, and I said. Here are 15 items. Uh, if I have to cut something, tell me what to cut first through 15. And uh, one was like a hiring freeze, a pay freeze. Uh, one, one was their job? Uh, layoffs was yeah. like number you know, 12. On the list. Um, but the last one, one thing that they did not want to lose at all costs was health care. Health care. Um, and... But it was, you know, 401k contribution, closing down the 401k, um, you know, it was all the things that directly impact, cutting back hours, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, they, it was really interesting, it was 29 and 1 was, healthcare was the one thing that they desperately wanted to keep, huh. um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, but there was very much universal agreement on where to hold um, uh, where layoffs should happen, where, uh, uh, but it was all, the, the key to it was communication. I gave them, I showed them the results, and I said, we're going to follow this plan. We're going to do an, a, an immediate hiring freeze and a, and a wage freeze. So when you're trying to get that kind of buy-in, are you actually opening your, when you're, you're in your companies at a, a, a place where it might not survive, it might not, do you actually open your books to your employees? I tell my employees, uh, we put out a pie chart almost every year. Not, I think we've missed a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But a pie chart about 
uh, representing a total revenue for the company, how much is going out for labor, how much is going out for taxes, how much is it going out mm -hmm. for uh, food and vessels uh, payments, and then profit, which so is always this little sliver. Uh, so they can conceptualize how greedy or not greedy you are. Exactly. Interesting. And, and they see that their, their wages are like 40% of mm -hmm. our revenue, and you know the profits are much smaller. In the darkest time, what was the percentage loss of your revenue from a healthy year in that period? Oh, You're I down think 40, we dropped, 50, 50%? No, no, we actually, uh, I, we've always felt that because we have had such a close relationship with our customer mm -hmm. that... Uh, they stayed with you? They stayed. Uh, yeah. the, the people that celebrate their anniversary every year with us stay. The people mm -hmm. that uh, celebrate their birthday with us, they stay. What we saw was a significant drop in add-ons. Mm -hmm. And also, um, we've never had an expensive wine list, but the, the $35, $40 bottles disappeared. No one was buying those. They were buying the house wines at $18 and $20 uh, if they came. There was no more uh, private events. There was no entertainment, no casino, no add-ons. They came, mm -hmm. they had dinner. They might not have dessert, uh, but they still came. Uh, we were down about 25%. How, well, big how, how many years did it take you to pull out of it? Uh, eight, 13 to 13. We, five we years? The, we lifted the pay freeze in five years. Five years. Wow. Pay freeze. So you, five got, years. you got your employees to buy into a five-year pay freeze. Well, I, 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 I did not lose any of my management. Wow. You didn't. Not That's what was going to be my next question. Wow. wow. Yeah, Eric? Out of the 30 people... I, I did have one die, so, but that... Eric, uh, does he look like the kind of person that would keep his employees through all this? How did, how, are you, are you, well, it's a podcast, and no one can see what he looks like. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, wow. you know, I think part... You know, that's, you have a face for radio, doesn't mean I do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but there's a, you know, there's a... It's just such an old, tired cliche that, you know, you've got to treat your employees well, that they are the most valuable asset. And, I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm seeing that more and more, and I think that's... That seems to be one of the challenges you have, uh, both for employers and employees, is that this this lack of loyalty and, and commitment. Uh, I remember when I, uh, you know, when I first got out of grad school and I got a consulting job. A year later, I got headhunted and I just just a much better offer, so sure. I took it. And I remember talking to my aunt at the time, and she said, "This is back in 1999." She said, "You don't want to be a job jumper." And, you know, that kind of resounded with me. I'm like, yeah, okay, i got to be careful. And if I do get head on it again, I should probably be careful and think hard about that. But today, you know, if someone said, oh, you don't want to be a job jumper, they think that you're a... That, that I don't you're know a, if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Um, the only area that I've ever had real turnover in is my sales staff. My boat staff has been incredibly consistent. So even among your servers? Your oh, I go through servers. I mean, they're... It's hard. You can't hold a, a 19 year old. I mean, right. they're they're there working while they're going through college and grad school, and then they're off to do their their profession. Right. Um, or and I do a lot of. Uh, we have a lot of a actresses and singers that are they're they're where they're based. That they go and they'll go do a show in another community and then come back. And they right. sing. On so your, you're talking about your salaried staff for the ones who get about the salary. Yeah. That don't move. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll give you my. Uh, my general manager started out as a server. He's been with me 24 years. Uh, 
my IT manager, 22 years, my controller, 22 years, my uh, uh, executive service manager, uh, 18, 19 years, uh, my, uh, my other general manager at Cascade Locks is like 19 years. Uh, the newbie of the group is my director of sales because the other one passed away from breast cancer. And she's been with me only six, so she's she's the, the rookie. So your rookie has been with you six years. Yeah. Well, my executive chef is a twenty-four year veteran. Wow. Dan, you you may not know this, but we have a traffic problem here. You may know it, about it, and I, not I, on I, the river. I, and and there's a there was there was a mag there was a magazine that wrote you up uh, in nineteen in two thousand two that you had an idea to have uh, water taxis. Uh, take water transportation. Water transportation. 2002. This is 2017. What's what happened to that idea? Is it is well, it still is the, it still a viable? How would it work? Is it still is viable? viable? The idea is viable. Uh, Where would it go? Interesting. Well, what happened to it is is that the city of Portland brilliantly uh, there's irony there uh, in 1988 outlawed uh, marine commercial activity through its uh, Greenway Cove. And the only reason Portland Spirit's around is that we have spent well in excess of a million dollars fighting the city to so, exist. So Greenway, okay. Let me, so, let me, so the city is going through its 2035 planning process, which is required by the state, and they have realized that they had made this mistake because they have spent so much money fighting this one dinner boat company, and uh, they have uh, agreed to some changes in the code that will one, allow marine commercial activity to exist, uh, which is great. The other thing that, uh, that the, in the transportation part of the plan, they have acknowledged that marine transportation is, is a possibility, uh, especially seeing how Clackamas County has had uh, ferries in their transportation plan running from Lake Oswego to downtown Portland for like 40 years, waiting for the city of Portland to catch up. Um, so, uh, so the you, other component that is now caught up is, is uh, vessel technology. Uh, high wake, high use uh, would be a disaster on the Willamette, high wake vessels. The wake technology uh, has been radically improved because all the wake is is transferring energy from the boat to the water. Uh, and so the easiest way to do that historically is creating a wake. Well, now the energy of modern hulls actually goes straight down, so you don't get the wake. So you no longer are going to be doing damage to uh, other vessels and docks and things like that when you're going at speed. So I think that you are going to see, uh, because the code is evolving, They've actually designated our property, which is located next to uh, the opera near the OMSI transit station, which that transit station on the east side services bus lines, light rail, and streetcar. We're across the street from it, and it's been designated a marine uh, terminal. So there is an opportunity there Mm -hmm. for not only to have ferry transportation work, but also have places where it can stop and, and serve. Well, let's back up for a second. Eric, this is pretty interesting because, I mean, just give me the concept. Is it possible, could you move 10,000 people from downtown Vancouver 
in the morning, uh, rush hour, on ferries to downtown Portland to work and then home. Well, I don't know about Vancouver. Just think about Lake Oswego. Well, but, but, but yeah, but, well, but, but let's start with Vancouver both, and then. They're both, yes. Okay. The, the bottom line is yes. All What's, it is is a function of, and this is the great thing about ferry systems, is that you can add capacity by adding more boats. And uh, the dwell time is actually very short for loading and unloading ferries. But you, for the Vancouver run, uh, actually, Vigor owns a key parcel, Vigor Shipyard, uh, up in Vancouver that they uh, have been talking about running their own ferry from there to Swan Island because their employees are having a hell of a time getting to work. And they are actually thinking about building their own ferry and they've uh, and, and talking to us about operating it for them because they're not operators, they're builders. And they own one of the premier small boat shipyards in the country in Seattle called uh, Quijack. And they make high-speed, low-wake vessels. Interesting, I don't know if that's going to happen. They're talking about it. But um, you have uh, the, the, the one thing that really shook the core TriMet was the Orange Line down the Milwaukee Light Rail Line. That showed them the difficulty of all the easy lines have been built. The Milwaukee Light Rail Line removed 102 companies, mm-hmm. 1,100 jobs were displaced or closed, and a few dozen Correct. acres of land were removed from the tax rolls forever. So, and, what's and has generated a huge amount of gridlock on one of the most quickly developed stretches of road in Portland, Division Street. Uh-huh. Division now gets horribly backed up because, because of that damn crossing. Because of that crossing. Well, wait on, you know, the, the Division uh, high-capacity bus line has now been, the Powell high-capacity bus line has now been moved over to Division, and I, I, I sit on that transportation committee for the Central East Side, and I'm like, how are you going to get it through that intersection, which is already a disaster? Okay, now at the risk of making you say something that you probably don't want to say, I, I did work a long, long time ago um, for Portland Development Commission involving a law. We don't call it that. It's, okay. it's, it's still PDC and it's still 39th Avenue. Uh, anyway. Uh, this is a long, long time ago, but uh, so I've been following Central East Side stuff for a long time. A few years ago, it was probably about six or eight years ago, I said, I, I said, you know, if the Central East Side economic uh, development area was uh, was a kid, it would be of drinking age, and there was not much to show for it. Now there is. Now there's more development down there. But it took roughly 25 years for anything to happen, and I'm not convinced that it was actually the urban renewal that did it. No. Actually, the urban renewal district was... If you look at the funds that were expended, um, the first project of any size was the Esplanade, right? Which was generated absolutely zero TIF, right? So I, that's a mystery the, to me. Wasn't the whole point to generate TIF increment? Yeah, actually, incremental yes, revenue. But you got to remember, another New Yorker was in charge of the city at that time, and Vera didn't care about rules or regulations. She cared about results that fit, that fit her. Correct. Well, you know, Mayor, there's a Mayor story. Mayor Well, you know, there's a story. You know, there's a statue of her on yes, East Blank Esplanade. And you know why they named it the Viracats East Blank Esplanade? Why? It was the only way to get Viracats to actually visit the east side. <laughs> there's some truth to that. Right? Um, 
<laughs> but so, the so, story there with urban renewal, the whole point the, of urban the, renewal is to use this money to do things that are supposed to increase the property values around there. And it sounds like that never happened, that all the stuff we're seeing down there now was happened naturally. Yes. Yes, it did. And um, it was uh, people like, well, the urban renewal funds basically were used to pay PDC staff. Right. And, uh, and debt payments for the Esplanade. Uh, we did not get anywhere near the amount of, uh, of investment-grade uh, products that we were hoping to get. So you're right. There are uh, several major developers have come in and done amazing projects. But one thing about the district that performed beautifully from 2007 to currently is it's the only part of the city that actually added jobs through the Great Recession. And it did that consistently because it was, you know, jobs that were necessary for the city to continue. Plus, a lot of those jobs shifted from the uh, uh, where the Orange Line was built in Milwaukee and uh, Brooklyn neighborhoods into the Central East Side. Now, were those industrial jobs that were added? Yes. Oh, they were? Okay. Yeah, we actually have added uh, on the Central East Side, we have uh, a lot of uh, uh, distilleries, uh, Stumptown Coffee. Uh, uh, Whole Foods uh, has their bakery has been added in there. We still have France Bakery and uh, Portland Bottling. Uh, no, we have a, a lot of industrial jobs, but we've also added a lot of small uh, fabrication shops that, that make the molds and the for our large industrial users up in, uh, in the industrial core of the city, the north. So, uh, but there has also been a, a, a reinterpretation of what is industrial with I think you, viewpoint. I, I think uh, aren't artists considered uh, industrial or something because they're manufacturing art? There is. There <laughs> and are, you and I are now paying the arts tax, right? We're we're no longer going to be delinquent on it. No Dan, have you paid your arts tax? Oh, you don't live in Montgomery County. I moved out. Oh, that's County. right. So it's up to us. So I have one other thing I wanted to talk about. And I know it's still trying to clock it. That's a terrible pun, as you say. I think it's water under the bridge. A few years ago, our, our mayor Charlie Hales was gonna, was taking a high wire act where he was going to move a homeless camp across the river, and I believe it was going to right be next right, next to it, right next to you. Right next to OMSI and us, yes. And uh, that didn't happen. Well, see, this is where um, Charlie tried to mimic Vera, is that Vera uh, didn't care about rules and regulations, and he actually was part of her, a city commissioner under her. Um, the issue with, when you took on Vera, you had to win or you or she would come be incredibly vindictive. What's so the old expression? If you strike the king, you better kill him? Yes. And Vera was very tough. And so um, you really had to pick your battles very carefully. Charlie, you didn't have any fear of retribution because Charlie was nowhere near as strong a leader as she was. So when he said, I'm putting it over here, the Central East side took him to court and just whacked him. I mean, badly, because he was trying to put it in a land-zoned industrial next to a, uh, a facility that brings in a tractor-trailer load of hydrochloric acid every week. Oh, that was Colum- uh, the plating, plating, company, yeah. plating company, yeah. And it was completely inappropriate location for uh, housing in a district that does not allow... Oh, and, and they were going to locate a homeless camp along active railway lines. So- which is... What's the, what's the downside there? So, uh, question. I mean, you referred to, before we wrap this part of the conversation up, K- 
can we uh, and you were and you said that there would be a need in like Oswego for uh, water tax. Yes. Uh, well, I was thinking that that's probably a more uh, by more reasonable expectation. It's a shorter theory, distance. It, to me, it's the ideal in the right starting, starting place because. The neat thing about uh, ferry users is that all the studies indicate there are 600 ferry lines in the United States. Half of them are privately owned and half of them are publicly owned. Um, the, uh, the standard ferry user is someone who will not use transit. That they, they do not, that is not part of their lifestyle, but they will use a ferry because a ferry allows them to have certain uh, comforts like uh, alcohol, or a drink, a, uh, a tea, seat. coffee, more comfortable Can seat. Read a newspaper. They're not. They don't have to worry about being piled in on. So, a run from Lake Oswego down to Portland, which was the the studies already was done on how successful, how many people you can move when they looked at spending a half a billion dollars on the streetcar. So they know the potential of bodies that need to be moved. There is no room at the Lake Oswego Transit Center for more buses to go down 43, and 43 is already pretty well at capacity. So, and they have the ability to build a park and ride, which was designed for the streetcar, in the Lake Oswego uh, Park. That's right on the water. So, and they have a dock. That can so, circa right 2022, are we going to have uh, water taxis? Or ferries, ferries, not taxis. Okay, ferry. ferries, taxi. To, All right. I I am having a meeting in less than five weeks with the largest ferry operator in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the big question. So, does that mean yes? I'm trying to encourage someone to come in and make the investments. I am not going to run it. I am not going to own it. That I'm was not. my next question. As what is the chance that TriMet gets into the ferry business? None. You think it's zero? Zero. TriMet. Um, they got rails on the brain. They, I, you don't want them to be in any. Well, I didn't say I wanted to. I said, were, were they going to get into it? It doesn't matter. The, the only way that you want TriMet involved is you want to have a universal pass that allow you to use the streetcar, buses, and ferries okay. and light rail. Currently, the streetcar and the uh, TriMet are not integrated. Right, um, Eric. We've come to the time of the show. When what? I, I, we have what a new we, we have a new format. We have a new, we have new, format. We have a new format in the show. Oh, good. Let Are me you ready for this. Let me know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lightning round. Oh my God! And before we get to the uh, to what's the future of the Portland Spirit, before we end this podcast, we do our lightning round. Oh, my gosh. And uh, are you ready for it, Eric? Well, uh, I hope you're, you're starting. The, you're the mom. <laughs> All right. Well, let me just throw out. It's Our lightning round is a is word. Is your list? Yeah, right it's, a wor it's not a list. It's, a, it's more of a synopsis. Okay. Um, our lightning round is a word association. Oh, my God. And so we're going to. Um, are you ready, guest Dan Yates? For our lightning round, I'm bringing it on. Okay, sure. a lightning round from you will be like, uh, <laughs> oh, it'll be like syrup. Okay, sure. oh, let me um, let's see. Let's see. let me throw out a couple two words, and you tell me, and let's hear your reaction. Ted Wheeler, a disappointment. Uh, Eric, are you surprised you said that? Why? Don't we want to know? I'm aren't you, aren't you a supporter of no, Ted Wheeler's? No, it's yeah. lightning. He, he okay. doesn't have to say why. Well, yeah, he does. Oh, it's he a, does. It's oh, a no, lightning. No, no, we're changing, no, no. Like did you know, said, we're changing right. the Back format the of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's lightning with expansion. Okay. <laughs> lightning with breaks. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, don't you want to know what, why he said that? Of course. Yeah, what, of course. What's, what's the word? What's, where's Ted Wheeler's leadership nine months into this job? And you're a supporter. Yes, I was a 
an, an, a very early supporter, mm -hmm. uh, both uh, financially and uh, mm -hmm. uh, emotionally. Um, I do not believe that he, I think he's been way too cautious on addressing the uh, homelessness issue uh, that he is. Is he uh, one of those classic Oregonians who's conflict adverse? Do you think he put, paid full price for his car? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> yes, 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 and yes. This is his problem, huh? Well, you know, and my, my complaint about Ted, well, it's less of a complaint, it's more of an observation, is, you know, he just doesn't have a, he doesn't seem to have a guiding light. He doesn't have a philosophy that, or an ideology that, that really guides him. Yeah, I think a lot of good politicians, even if I disagree with them, good politicians kind of have an idea of where they want to go. I think he has a guiding light that... He wants to be governor, and he is doesn't want to really piss anybody off. Uh, and he has a very challenging city uh, commission. Isn't this kind of quicksand here? Run his way to the governor. Much worse, and will be potentially unmanageable by him is, soon. Yes. Uh, so isn't this quicksand is, on the way to the governor's office? Oh, this is. But it may be perfect because uh, we have such low expectations of our state government, he might fulfill them. Oh, good. Okay, good Jim, this God. is called the lightning round. I'm yes. going to do lightning history quiz okay. on you. Yes. Who was the last Portland mayor to become governor? Uh, Goldschmidt. Neil Goldschmidt. 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 Yeah. Oh, I, wait, I wasn't even here there. I wasn't yeah. even here then. Right. I was. I don't think yeah. it happens that much. Okay, so, uh, yes. So, okay, so scale one to ten. Ten being, you know, this sort of new superstar, uh, brilliant gov uh, mayor who has all these degrees and is, is kind of the Yule, Yule Gibbons, hikes the Kilimanjaro and swims the, swims the Willamette with a, uh, a ballot in his mouth. Um, and one being uh, a disaster. Where is he? One to ten. He's like a six. He's a six. He's an Oregon. Uh, where is his presence? It seems like he's disappeared. Is that fair? No. No, he has. It's not fair, or it is fair. It's not that he's disappeared. He has a presence. Well, Eric, he's, he's around a lot. Do you he's, think so? Oh, just turn on your voice, your vote. He's on almost every other week. Right. He's, no. He is. He makes his public appearances. He just doesn't provide any sort of direction or or. Uh, uh, Excitement uh -huh. or uh, vision, vision. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. It's a. Uh, he is all about. I think he was very rattled by the level of hostility mm -hmm. that greeted him. He's totally surprised. Well, it, I was surprised. Yeah, I was. Well, we uh, just interviewed Tim Boyle, uh, and he, CEO of Columbia Sportswear. And we asked him how he felt the mayor's performance was, especially with the homeless crisis and the streets crisis, you know, problems. And he said he's doing okay. He's focused on the right things. Is that your take? Um, unfortunately, I think he has a secret plan for dealing with homelessness. Mm -hmm. I know from what I hear from my clientele that I am having more and more trouble getting people from the suburbs to come down to downtown Portland. Yeah. They're just worn out. Yeah. And OMSI's having the same issues that uh, people don't want to expose their children to these endless camps and, and people approaching people and asking and demanding and, and money. And uh, there is, uh, uh, I've had a couple of employees, uh, uh, 
uh, approached very to the point where they wanted to report it to police, leaving the boat uh, at dusk. Now it's going to be dark, and we've tried to get the Portland uh, Rangers to uh, the park rangers to be down near the boat at night, but they they're like, no, we don't want to go anywhere near the park. It's dangerous at dark. Well, it's fine. I just got a, a, a weird phone call last night that was a poll. The guy was obviously not from um, from Portland, A, because of his accent, and, and B, because he couldn't pronounce a lot of no. organ words right. correctly. Uh, but it, it was really, it's obviously from a bike group, but th- what they focused on was how close do you live to downtown? I live less than 10 minutes from downtown drive. How often do you come downtown that's not work-related? Well, when I think about not work-related, it's almost never. Right. My wife, 20 years ago, used to laugh at the suburbanites who refused to come to Portland. She, now we live eight minutes away from downtown, she shops in Washington Square and Clackamas Town Center because of parking and the the, 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 the grittiness the, right. the, and the panhandling. Where does your boat board the public? It's Salmon Street. And Southwest Salmon and First? It's in uh, Governor... Tom McCall Waterfront Park. Uh, do your customers? We also though board uh, more you, and more on the east side. Do you have issues at Salmon Street with homeless and? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We have. Do you provide have, security or how do? What do you do? We provide security on late night cruises, uh-huh. but uh, anything uh, after eleven o'clock, we have security. Do you hear from the public that they're bothered by boarding? Yes. Boarding there. Yes. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. But is East Side worse? No. We no. actually have a gated uh, oh. boarding area. And so they they drive in and they're and they're oh. protected in there. Should we continue with our lightning round? Yeah, yeah. We still got a few minutes. Yes. Let's okay. Go. Um, Tom Hughes, Metro. Ooh. Tom Hughes, Metro Councilor. Oh, he's almost gone. He's okay. Retired. We'll he's skip him. Well, this really is a lightning round. We'll yeah, skip him. Yeah. Well, he's All right. Become irrelevant about. He disappointed months. me about two months after he got elected. Okay. Well, there he's gone. All well, right. That's that convention center. Okay, Chloe. Chloe Commissioner, Commissioner Chloe. She uh, is uh, the first of uh, three. That are coming. Yes, there's two more coming. Who's coming? Who's going to take Dan Salton's place? It doesn't really matter. They're both just as bad. Just as bad. But it doesn't matter. It's going to be another single-issue, anti-business, left-wing. Are single-issue people anti-business just in, just by, in, you know, just by definition? That's because their issue is always anti-business. Their issue is... Yeah, it, inherently it is, uh, one, a complete lack of understanding about the, the challenges of business, and mm-hmm. there is an element of just, uh, you know, they're, they're so passionate about their single issue, that's all they're, they care about. I mean, that's all they care about. <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask a question that it looks like it's already your but next I, lightning round. I am terrified that Nick is going to lose. Oh, see, that was my question. Uh, ask, you think he's going to... Nick he, Fish. Is he going to yeah. run? He's running. You know it for a fact. Yeah. I, have I this. just gave him money. Oh. In, in, in a brown bag. Did he Did he ask for you to give yes, him money? Oh, did. okay. Well, that's interesting because yeah. I have this, this suspicion that, uh, you know, with his, you know, his illness, and he's been on council for long enough, that he would say this would be a good time to bow out, and he'll do, you know, the, the organ shuffle where, like, two days well, before the final deadline, yeah. he'll 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 drop out, and then his chief of staff will, right. will walk right in. No, he's, he is running. He is running. In the 20 years since you he, voted... He thinks he's going to beat his cancer, it, which is a bad cancer. It is a bad cancer? Oh, that's yeah. too bad. I actually have a soft spot for I like fish. It. He's, he's grown into the job quite well. He's yeah. actually... The, the, 
he's an adult on the He will take Oh, we need a Dan Saltzman, but he's gonna be the he's gonna be the Dan Saltzman. Is Ted Wheeler gonna get better? I think if uh, if the council moves farther left, he'll go farther left. So and he'll be worse. Will when he did, run again? When did he get? When did he just? Did you th- think that he'd be so finger in the wind? Is that fair? Oh, it's completely fair. Um, I think he to to get peace to be able to operate his city council without demonstrators. Uh, so he's intimidated. I think he he. Uh, he, he got intimidated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned he lost his nerve. Yeah. And when they he may when not they run pro- anymore, he may just bow out of public life. Because mm-hmm. this is but being in public life is hard in this state. Yeah. If you're if you're actually trying to affect any level of change. And the drift of the council and the mayor of 20 years has just been in one direction, right? Has it well, ever has there ever been has there ever been a correction in the anti-business direction of the last 20 years? There was uh, the token attempt by Francisconi to embrace the business community, and he raised a lot of money and got obliterated. For doing uh, it. For doing that, yeah. To, to even say business is not evil is, is mm-hmm. a death knell for him. But I, I think Portland, because change is hard here, mm-hmm. and we have such uh, incredibly ingrained same thing, that uh, it has been slow... And embracing the extreme left slower than Seattle, mm-hmm. but Seattle has flipped completely left. to oh. Uh, what are the? I think if you ask Sam Adams, he would say he was uh-huh. he was pro business, but he's the worst kind of pro business. He's the kind where he's got his naughty and nice list, and if you're on the nice list, who you, taught him that? Well, I know exactly Vera. who taught him that. He was yeah. chief of staff to her. Yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, I know. And Sam and I were pretty good friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on his good list because I also did Tim favors. Like when he needed to shake up a, a bureau, I came in and reviewed the budget for him. No, see, are you glad that you came to Portland despite all the anti-business issues, or not? If you had to wow, do it, if you had to, question. if you had to do it again, um, I feel sad that it's um, that business people are. Vilified. I feel worse that veterans are vilified, uh, and white males are uh, treated so badly that somehow, um, you know, being all three. Uh, that's my office. Nope. I have to find somebody else. Um, so I, you know, mm-hmm. it's been the spirit has been a great experience for me for the most part, and I love the people I work with, and I love the fact that we've married off thousands of people, we've done all these family celebrations for people. So you're tied, you're pretty tied community. into the community. But you're I'm invested. really tired of it. Tired I mean, of, the, of the anti-business stuff. I'm just tired of trying to justify why it's okay to have a business. Why it's okay to have a business. Um, we're coming to the end of the lightning round. This is why right? I'm not going to expand, why I don't want to do the ferry system. I'm never going to... I've told the city I'm never taking out another permit. Eric, are you surprised well, to hear that? From six, I mean, this old. is a successful business owner here. I mean, an entrepreneur. A true I'm entrepreneur. Surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I think it, it just starts wearing you down, right? Mm-hmm. And over time, you just say, well, what's the point? I, it, someone said today, you know, if you don't... 
uh, I was talking to a mayor uh, from one of our suburbs. He says, look, guys, and he heard a bunch of us complaining mm-hmm. about the city of Portland. He says, look, you can either change the person who's in office or you could change your zip code. And I'll tell you which zip code to change to. And, of course, he mentioned his we, own town. Uh, you know, well, and we have the... Well, you know, it's funny because I remember a long time ago, uh, I can't believe this, when Sam Adams was a commissioner, he he talked to some people. He wanted he wanted to do the impossible. He wanted to actually lower the business income tax. Uh, he wanted to lower the business income tax, but he wanted it to be revenue neutral, and he didn't want to make anyone worse off, which... You, it's impossible. It's impo- literally impossible. And so, uh, and someone else said, "Well, you know, if you, you know, if you raise the tax on these people, then they're going to leave the the, the leave the city." And he said, "Well, that's okay because then we'll only have the people left in the city who want to pay these taxes. In other words, they don't care if you don't like it because they don't want you here. They because you're just going to stand in there." Of, of arrogance and and willful ignorance about how economics work. Uh, and they have been, I mean, let's face it, the city is rolling in money. Uh, I cannot go to a meeting now without at least three city officials who have nothing else to do but to attend meetings. And it's because, and they're all 125, 130,000 bucks each because they're 100 grand average pay because they're managers and then all their benefits and applied on top of it. Uh, I mean, we have some, we have a lot of money to burn in this city. Uh, and they get and they're and obviously people are moving here. Yeah, but but we all know that it can turn very quickly. We very quickly. We've come to the end of the lightning round. We have the big question. The big one. The big question. Oh my gosh! There's so many gimmicks <laughs> in this show. <laughs> We're gonna start doing buzzers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the big question. It's the morning zoo, guys. <laughs> the big question. Donald Trump. Well, don't put him in a bad situation. Well, should, should Donald Trump take the knee? No. 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 We're not going to ask Donald Trump. Take a bullet, maybe. Donald, <laughs> Donald Trump. I mean, certainly he can't be. I mean, that you wake up in the morning as a businessman, you have to be glad that Barack Obama is no longer president, right? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the best thing that is, yes, there is an element of truth to that. The minimum wage increase for salary managers that was a Barack Obama uh, decree that was going into effect uh, on November 30th was going to devastate my company because I would have had to raise uh, several of my managers who, you can't count bonuses, we're a very bonus-oriented company, up about 10 grand each, and I would have had to uh, take a lot of other key people down to hourly status from salary. And they would have lost their benefits. They would have had to pay for the, partially pay for part of their benefits. So it would have been intensely disruptive to the company, which we were prepared to do it. We'd already done all the conversations. We had everybody lined up. But I was very, and they were very relieved because uh, uh, that it didn't happen. So, so that is on the plus side of right. Donald. On the negative side, Donald Trump is... Uh, an embarrassment. That's what Tim Boyle just called him in our newsletter. He said a joke and an embarrassment. Is that fair? Yeah, it's completely fair. I mean, I'm not a... Is it, not we a, come to the age I where... Am, I am a registered Republican who could not vote for him. And we come to the age where a CEO of a, a Fortune 1000 company can throw something like that out and just and it's no problem. It means that, you know, it's just that so, we're so used to saying that about Donald Trump? Or is it so true? Well, I think it's... 
intensely true. I mean, he's worked very hard to create a public persona where he's only servicing, you know, 30% of the population. Mm -hmm. And uh, that 30% is intensely loyal, but he certainly is not worried about how the rest of the world views us and how that view impacts uh, how the country operates. I mean, I bet you domestic or international tourism is going to be down after starting to recover from 2008, I bet you it's going to be down. And that is one of our, that's a couple hundred billion dollar industry. You served as a naval officer um, mm -hmm. during most of the Reagan administration, and yes. I take it you were proud of that president and happy to serve. I, I and happy to serve for, on. I did not vote for him. I was, uh, uh, in 1980, I was in college, mm -hmm. and uh, he scared the hell out of me. And of course, mm -hmm. as a 21 year old, your, your thinking is not always uh, the most rational. But uh, I did join the service, um, and Ronald Reagan followed through on his promise to rebuild the military. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I really, I worked so much during the 80s. Those eight years I was at sea, and I went mm -hmm. to Grenada and Beirut, the Persian Gulf, the Arctic, um, uh, Persian Gulf twice, uh, and all through the Pacific. I never really stopped to worry about what Ronald Reagan was doing. Uh, I really did. I did not really appreciate Ronald Reagan uh, for many years. How how would you how would you feel serving under President Trump as a naval officer right now? I would uh, I would just shut up. Mm -hmm. do, do you think the talk in North Korea has been loose talk on his part, or has it been good? You know what? Good strategy. Uh, this is. This is crazy talk, but this mm -hmm. is, it's a, a situation that a lot of rational minds have been dealing with for about 30 years, and they've gotten nowhere. This is maybe the one area he can contribute, because he is just as nuts as, as seriously. And unpre the, the North Koreans have relied on being unpredictable and getting away with they it. They know how to take advantage of staid dip diplomatic That's well, because exactly. the diplomatic world is always predictable. Uh, consensus and yeah. predictable and don't do anything to upset the apple curve. I mean, it's and like... Donald uh, Trump doesn't give a shit about that. It's like playing tic-tac-toe against a, a computer. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what the computer's going to do. Yeah. So you just... No one's going to win and no one's going to lose and therefore... But North Korea has been making continuous progress on getting nuclear weapons. And... Uh, Donald Trump may be the only person capable of stopping that. Now, well, that's a mean, mouthful. But does it mean we are going to, you know, launch a, a strike on him? I don't know. He's crazy enough to do it. Um, and it won't work. It will not work. You will see Seoul devastated if we do that. Um, fire and fury is what you'll see. Well, you know what? The. The thing is, you know, when we went in and we bombed Afghanistan, we said we bombed them back to the Stone Age, they were already in the Stone Age. North Korea is not far, uh, uh, more, much more advanced than, uh, than Afghanistan. But, uh, you know, the, yeah, they, think, look, they look well, a lot more advanced than Afghanistan. Is, but who is the one player that is, I think, gets unnerved by Donald Trump even more than the North Koreans? This, the North Korean? Chinese. Korea? Yeah. And the Chinese are actually, for the first time ever, coming to the table and putting pressure on the North Koreans. Mm -hmm. And that's how you solve the issues, by, by having China stop protecting them. And I think the Chinese realize that they don't know what Donald Trump's going to do. 
Donald Trump is crazy enough to put a start a trade war with China, which would be awful for everybody. Oh yeah. But I mean, there's no winner there. There's no. only losers. Eric, we we've, we've come. I think. Uh, I, I hate to. What hate round to. are we on now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've come to the end of our show for for one reason. What? Uh, there's I'm out of disk space. There's horrible traffic out there. Oh, okay. We oh. need to go visit it, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought we were going to get a beer. We're going to get a beer. Well, we could do that. I have, um, But before we end the show, we before we end the show, we have to, um, don't we want to ask him what the future might be for the, what you hope for the Portland Spirit? I think you want to sell it off and make a fortune. That's what I'd uh, want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a family-owned, employee-owned business. Um, I am hopeful that um, our new board member, and who has bought 5% in, uh, Rob Corey, who uh, is uh, and he's 10 years younger than me, I am hoping that he will continue to be fascinated by the business. He's a high-tech guy. He's a Darden MBA also, and he went to Carnegie Mellon. He actually created, he made his fortune in, Demand, creating demand pricing software for the airlines. Huh. And uh, he sold a little software company to First Data here in Portland. I was so gonna I was gonna do that, but I got busy with my golf game. Yeah, well and you still have room for that improvement after what I saw last week. <laughs> That's right. Um, the uh, we played with a guy who drove a four hundred and twenty yard green. Um, <laughs> golf whisperer from Fiji. Golf yeah. whisperer. So anyway, you so were saying, as we end our show. he. So I'm hoping that he will be uh, continue his uh, enjoyment of learning the business. He has never been involved in anything as complex as what we do. It may seem silly, but we are so heavily regulated by every government. You can say an agency, I'll tell you what they regulate on me. I mean, I have the Department of Agriculture that I deal with even because huh. I use fresh flowers, and they are concerned I'm reselling them outside. So I have to have uh, the FCC, OSHA, uh, Homeland Security. Uh, I have people inspecting me every day, it seems like. And so the level of regulations and complexity is just, uh, to someone like me, it's, it's, it's actually fun and challenging. But... That's not counting the city of Portland and its stupidity of uh, land use planning. But I'm just talking about managing uh, through all these bureaucracies that have a purpose. Yeah. Um, do we have, Eric, do we have a gift for our guest? Do we have a gift? It's yeah. in your office. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I brought the equipment and I bring the gift. He spent a half an hour trying to set Apparently up. Apparently we don't. Uh, we'll, you know. Oh yeah, we have uh, we have a certificate, don't we? We do. Yes. What are you talking about? Gee whiz! <laughs> a dinner certificate. Uh, dinner for tell two we prepared for this Spirit. podcast. Yes. We have a dinner for two at the Portland Spirit. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. I can take myself out. Yeah. We do. We want to thank Dan for coming. We do. On. Yeah. Thank you, Dan Yates, for coming. And we also have Jim Passero here. Uh, this is what's the third century solution? No, it's the Oregon Transformation Podcast. Podcast test. test. And, uh, I, I, and Eric, don't you think we've had a, a, a good, oh, I think uh, was awesome, a, a good introduction? Yeah, yeah. It, this was enough to get you to Salem, exactly from Portland on a on a uh, light on a moderate on, traffic on day, on a rainy bad traffic day. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. We did there our we job. We're out. Thank you, Dan. Good. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Make sure this does.